Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets Up listeners? Here we are for episode number 48 of the Mets Up podcast, and it's it, we're just going to come out hot here. We're going to come out swinging hot. The season's over. The season's officially over. I'm calling it. I'm waving the white flag. The season is officially over. The Mets just lost two of three to the lowly Miami Marlins, who love to play spoiler, especially in Mets history. They love to play spoiler, and they're doing it again here against our New York Mets. Just a despicable, disgusting, disgraceful series by the New York Mets. And just to be the cherry on top, I'm coming out swinging early, I'm telling you. Brad fucking hand. We told you that this guy was shit. We told you he fucking stunk. He needs to kick rocks. Get him off this team. I don't want to see him pitch again. There's so many players on this team right now that I'm sick and tired of seeing. Brad Hand, Albert Almora, never again in the orange and blue, I hope. But the season's over, so I guess we probably will continue to play them. That's my hot intro here for episode number 48 of the Mets Up podcast. Drop us a follow on Twitter and Instagram, at Mets Up, TikTok, at Mets Up as well. The YouTube channel, if you want a video version, I know we missed the last episode, that one's on me. Uh, YouTube, just Mets Up podcast, you'll be able to find us there. You're going to want to watch the video if you're not. There's going to be a lot of reactions, a lot of disdain, a lot of scorn. It's a very just disappointing, disgraceful episode. We're angry, we're mad. And uh, yeah, follow James on Twitter, co-host, Jeter Had No Range. James Shiano, of course, me, Giraffe Neck, Mark, Mark Luino. I didn't even introduce ourselves. That's how hot I am right now. My brain is all over the place. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I'm going to let James talk now. I'm cracking open a cold one. I need to relax. <laughs> Damn, wish I had one for this occasion. You should have told me. This was just the cherry on top of such a fucking horrific Mets season. I couldn't believe that through the offseason, through the Francisco Lindor contract negotiation, through a good April, through everyone getting injured in May, through a scrappy June, through a weird July, through an awful August, the beginning of September, Jacob deGrom gets injured. Noah Syndergaard never pitches. Carlos Carrasco gets three, um, uh, what's, it, what's the word I'm looking for here? Setbacks? Three setbacks. Michael Conforto plays like shit for most of the season. We trade Pico Armstrong for Javi Baez, which in retrospect might have, might have been the thing that could have possibly saved this season. Who else am I looking for? Dom Smith is just a bad baseball player suddenly. Jeff McNeil has forgotten how to hit. Jeff McNeil forgets how to hit and has to go to anger management, possibly. And we have to watch Brad fucking hand below this season. Why? How? Who? Where? Like, what the fuck? It's such a hellscape. Like, it is, as I've said before, Shakespearean tragedy. That This guy that all the idiots were upset we didn't sign in the offseason. He was DFA'd. DFA'd after being traded for pennies at the trade deadline. And we watch him and his dumb fucking mustache and his stupid loopy slider that's so goddamn hittable. If he could even put it on Pat Mazika's glove because he couldn't for a while. The only reason he almost got out of that inning was because he threw such a bad wild pitch that bounced off the fucking backstop. Mazika made a heads up play. McCann. Oh, McCann? I thought that was still Mazika at that point. No, McCann. Oh, Jesus Christ. This, uh, 
I, I got a lot of crap on Twitter from Brad Ham sympathizers. Ham, I called him Brad Ham. He he should be Brad Ham. The guy stinks. But I got sympathizers of Brad Hand telling me, well, he didn't give up hard contact. He didn't really blow the game. The Mets got four hits. Yeah, I know. The Mets have gotten four hits all season long. This Mets offense has stunk all year long. But we need guys to step up from the pitching side like they have been. And I've got a stat for you guys here because this is like just opens up your eyes to what's gone on with the Mets this season. So they have played in 56 one-run games this year. They're 27 and 29 in one-run games. And they have lost 12 of the last 13 one-run games they've been in. You want to know why? Because we put in a guy like Brad Hand to pitch. We haven't been able to close out the close ones. We haven't been able to come back in close games. It has been just terrible. And seeing Brad Hand be the guy who blows the game in such, I mean, incredible fashion. I tweeted out last night, you see something new every single night watching this Mets team. And we saw it again. He throws a wild pitch where it should be second and third, but Alex Jackson, for some reason, was the pinch runner for Sandy Leon. I don't know how much faster he really was anyway. The Marlins are a god-awful fucking baseball team. They're terrible. Don Mattingly stinks. He doesn't know what he's doing. Not the point. He gets thrown out third because the ball caroms off the backstop to which Brad Hand missed by the catcher's glove by about 30 feet, like you said. McCann grabs it, throws it him out. He's out there. And then there's a chopper to Brad Hand, and he just tries to make an impossible throw with his back-to-first base spinorama, throw it, not even close, throws it into the outfield, the run scores 2-2 game. Yes, the Mets got four hits. Yes, there's other issues that have been going on with this Mets team all season long, but I felt like that inning right there just kind of encapsulized what this second half for the New York Mets has looked like. That's not the right word? That's not even close to being a real word. What's It's yeah. close. Encapsulate. Encapsulated, yeah, encapsulated. I'm mad. I'm making up Encapsulize. words. Encapsulize. I like that one, though. I'm going to use it more. Encapsulated the entire second half of this New York Mets team. What a fucking shit show. I mean, do we just want to do game three right now, get it off the rip since we've already been talking about it? We just did most of it, but like, if we want to do like the few small positives that we could have done. T- tiny. I mean, they're, like, they're still real positives. Like, Javi Baez is good. First three he innings, is. he just he took over the game. Double, stole a run. Hit a dinger, made multiple great plays at the Keystone. He's good. It was a good trade, I guess, in retrospect. If the rest of the team would have stepped up the way he has in the last two weeks, we'd probably be like a game and a half, two games out of the playoffs right now. But they didn't because they all suck. Stroman also, good as fuck. 22nd start of the season, allowing two run runs or fewer. Said a few episodes. That's still the best in baseball. Tied with Scherzer, Bueller, and Gaussman. Great company. Again, he's not throwing the sinker a ton. It was tied with the splitters, his most thrown pitch tonight. Just relying on the off speeds. Cool. Slider got five whiffs and six wings, great, but he still just like couldn't win. He's down to nine and twelve on the season, which ironically, same amount of wins as Yaris Familia, who wound up blowing this game. Yeah, Yaris Familia giving up a fucking nuke, nuke, nuke to Jazz Chisholm. I mean, there's like two guys you don't pitch to in this lineup, and Jazz has to be one of them. And he just threw a fat pitch right down the middle. Who's two? Oh yeah, Jesus Aguilar's hurt. There's one guy in this lineup you don't pitch to, and it's Jazz Chisholm, and he threw a fat pitch right down the middle, and Jazz Chisholm hit it to the Bahamas. I mean, he hit it back to his homeland. He crushed it. <laughs> Familia just threw all sinkers that inning, and like half of them were down the middle. Just, it's so frustrating that, one, why is it hand over loop in a game that we have a lead in the seventh? I don't understand that. Didn't loop pitch yesterday? I, it's the end of the season. I can't imagine Aaron Loop who throws 88. Is going to be like, I can't come out and get two outs here in a big spot in the seventh inning. Can't believe we went to Brad Hand. Can't believe that he's on the team. You've I said can't it. believe he's on the team. That was the problem. You said it at the beginning of the year when we were talking offseason stuff. And there were Mets fans, many of which, and even until you opened my eyes to the Brad Hand, the truth of him, 
I was like, he's pretty good. No, no, no. Once you open up your eyes to Brad Hand and realize what he is, uh, he shouldn't be pitching at a major league level unless you want some mop-up innings. And the Mets used him in a 2-1 game in the seventh inning. Quick Mets stuff fact check. Loop had pitched the first two games of the series. He threw an inning in each. So, I mean, I understand not using him for a third inning okay. a third day in a row. That makes sense. But it's still, it's no excuse for, again, having Brad Hand on the roster. This guy has secretly been awful for a few years now, but most people haven't realized because he's had saves, which apparently show that you're good. For all the people not watching on YouTube, I'm using air quotes right now. Because for three years in a row, Brad Hand has lost velocity. For three years in a row, he's lost slider movement and slider velocity. For three years in a row, his chase rate, his whiff rate have all gone down and cratered. He is terrible. And the fact that the Major League Baseball played this game pot potato and he wound up with the Mets is egregious. It's disgusting. It goes against everything that we said for the first three months of this podcast about how smart this organization was and how how this new front office was able to spot talent and find players and put people in situations to be better. It's not. It's the opposite of that. This guy's horrific. He shouldn't be in Major League Baseball, and I, he probably won't be next year. This is probably one of the last innings he will ever throw in his Major League career. Yeah, he's 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 horrible. He went from a last-place team that he wasn't usable on. The Nationals were like, you're so bad, get rid of you for literally anything, for scraps. We will take $10. It's like the Cameron Maven trade. We'll trade you for a dollar. That's a positive. We don't have to pay you. Get rid of him. And then the Blue Jays, who need all the bull help, bullpen help in the world, were like, you stink. Get off of our team. We don't even want you in this country. Don't come anywhere close to Canada. And then the Mets, Sandy Alderson, man, done. Get the fuck out of this team, please. Because we've been saying this all year long. Clearly, Luis Rojas, he can't be making the lineup. He can't. Can't be doing it. And the lineup that they threw out today. Disgusting. Horrible. It doesn't make any sense. You've talked about it all year long. J.D. Davis isn't going to play third base when Marcus Stroman's on the mound. And who do you know? J.D. Davis is playing third base with Jonathan VR, one of our hottest hitters on the fucking bench. I mean, on top of that, it's it's infuriating. Dom Smith, who is awful, dreadful, he can't buy a base hit. He might have three extra base hits in the second half. He's starting in the outfield against the lefty. And today in the outfield... He completely overran a fly ball. I've never seen that happen before. I've never. I never I've never seen. It. I know Dom's a good guy. He's been great in the past, but it's so not working right now and especially in the outfield. He's a first baseman. He's not an outfielder. He never has been. He never will be. This is shades of Lucas Duda and Daniel Murphy. It's the same fucking thing. No one learned their lesson at all. It's literally different people in charge and the same shit happens. It's just it's Gross incompetence right now by the New York Mets. Brad Hand, the lineup, the fact that Albert Almora, who is going to get talked about later on in this game too. Granted, is it fair? No, but I don't care. I'm It's shit on Albert Almora day. I'm mad. That guy stinks. He hits 110. His defense isn't even that good anymore. Where's Khalil Lee? I would rather see that guy who's going to crash into a wall, give me something exciting, give me some actual possible potential ceiling than Albert Almora, who we know at his best Hits 200 with a 220 on base and a 300 slugging percentage. I mean, it is so incredibly baffling how we keep doing the same shit over and over again and think something's going to change when we're, what, 135, 140 games into the season and the Mets are below 500? I saw a statistic the other day on Twitter. I'm not sure who said it. I'm still not sure of the exact number, but the Rays who our team I'm going to use to juxtapose how the Mets have played this year, especially after this series, have debuted something like 23 rookies this year. And that just shows incredible level of depth, incredible level of flexibility, incredible level of pliability, and the fact that they're getting just amazing production from these rookies over and over again. And I know like guys like Juan DeFranco and Randy Rosarena and like Luis Patino, who are technically rookies, but who are like very, very well-regarded ones. Sure. 
we don't have to count those right now. I'm talking about a guy like Drew Rasmussen, who they pulled in the trade for uh, Willie Adamas. That went completely under the radar. Fire Eisen. Fire Eisen. Uh, Taylor, Taylor Walls. Taylor Walls plays great defense. They called up Josh Lowe just for the series. He's a top 30 prospect. They just have him hanging out in AAA in case they need him. Vidal Bruhan played. He wasn't great. I'm pretty sure Josh Fleming is still technically a rookie. He's given them oodles of great innings this year. Padlo played a little bit, too. Padlo was fine. At times. And it's just the Mets continue to do this thing year after year where they simply recycle the rest of the league's trash, like guys like Albert Almora and Brad fucking Hand. And I know he's been playing better recently, but even a guy like Kevin Pillar. Like, having these guys on the roster just shows a lack of organizational depth. And we can blame Brody Van Wagner for that, but it also falls in Sandy Alderson because he was a GM for like seven years before Brody came in. There's just a dearth of talent in these upper minors, and there's no reason not to play Khalili right now. At least you might get a spark. At least you'll give him some experience. There's no way that his projection is worse than Albert Almora. And I also want to bring up the Rays because they finished their season series against the Orioles last week, and they went 14-1. and 14-1? and It might have been 16-1, and something like that. They lost the Orioles one time all year in division. The Mets are going to end up this season, unless they sweep the next series against the Marlins, which there's no way I'm sure of that in two weeks, losing their season series to the Miami Marlins. There's no way you should be in the playoffs or deserve to be in the playoffs when you can't win your season series against the Miami Marlins. No, the team is just, it's, it's a loser mentality right now. And I hate saying that, but, you know, hang the banner for chemistry, right? At least we have that. This team just, it, it, they don't have a winning bone in their body right now. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know who's going to have to be brought in, but it feels like right now it's going to be a clean house. That's the only way to solve whatever the fuck's happening in New York Mets land right now. Sandy's got to go. Rojas has got to go. There's only one guy who stays, and that is Jeremy Hefner. He better not go anywhere. The Mets better sign him to a lifetime contract. I don't want him to leave. Everybody else has got to go. Something is organizationally wrong where the Mets can't figure it out. I mean, we, we, we really were. We tried to be so positive and so optimistic and we thought that maybe this team was turning a corner but it's just game after game scandal after scandal issue after issue you realize that these Mets team or this Mets team that we thought was going to be different is just one and the same with all the rest that we've been seeing the last 20 years it's fucking grim so grim I hate being like this I really do but it's tonight pushed me over the edge to where I'm done being the positive Mets fan guy I'm done worrying about saying the right thing, being nice, this and that. It's it's just the truth. The Mets are fucking a joke right now. They should be embarrassed. I don't know what else there is to talk about in terms of like what to do with this team. It's just it's almost I'm not saying rebuild because that's crazy. That's nuts. We still have some pieces. But you got to start fresh. Something's got to start new. There's no way to start fresh and not rebuild. The Mets have too many pieces that are in their physical primes right now to actually do that. I don't want to do like a full offseason preview because we're going to save that. Yeah. To do that maybe slowly over the next month and then probably do a bigger one towards the actual end of the season, even though tonight's the proverbial end of the season. But they just need to change something. Like I think it's kind of ironic that while we all thought that we were turning over this new leaf with new ownership and a couple new players, a smiling face like Francisco Lindor, we were still had our old GM who couldn't get over the hump and did an objectively okay job for a very long period of time he was in said job. So maybe we were just all foolish for thinking that this team really was built anew when it was kind of just being built in the same way was once was. I mean, I like to romanticize the 2015 season a lot, as many Mets fans do. It was one of the great memories. But you also have to remember with that team, again, a Sandy Alderson-built team. One, he didn't want Yoannis Cespedes. He did not like Yoannis Cespedes. He did not want him on the team. He went after Carlos Gomez. That was supposed to be the guy we originally want. 
Carlos Gomez stunk. Yonis Cespedes carried us. But the rest of that team offensively was terrible. I mean, we had Ruben Tejada playing shortstop every day. And then when it wasn't him, it was Wilmer Flores, who is not a shortstop. We know that. We love Wilmer. Love him. Not a shortstop. It's crazy that he played shortstop at the major league level. In the World Series. In the World Series. It took Daniel Murphy having one of the best World Series perform- or postseason performances of all time to get us there. I mean, the pitching has always been the strong suit under Sandy Alderson, but clearly he does not have a clue for what it takes at the plate. I don't even know if it's not having a clue for what it takes at the plate. I just don't think that he is sharp enough to be a general manager in today's game. He isn't. That was, and- yeah. And the quote today from John Heyman was that Sandy Alderson never intended to be in this position. So when Jared Porther was let go from his duties for being a sexual predator, he kind of threw the back end of the offseason and every type of in-season transaction the Mets were going to make a little bit out of whack. Not saying that he would have done a better job and he shouldn't be in this role because he's a sexual predator and a disgusting individual. But he admitted when this all happened he wasn't fit for this job. And then we let him have this job all season, pretending everything was like G. Willick or Dandy. And he was not. He was pretty awful. I think it showed a lot during the Mets' in-season transi- transactions and acquisitions. Yep. I mean, even when we had the AAA and AA team out there, I know we had a bevy of injuries, but, I mean, we were throwing Wilfredo Tovar and Jake Hager out there. You see some of these other teams that are winning teams. The guys that they throw out there, yeah, you may not know their name, but guess what? They play well, and that's not just by happenstance. That's because there's something actually there. The Giants got fucking performances out of Lamont Wade Jr., and Darren Ruff. Darren Ruff was playing in Korea. These were guys nobody wanted. Mets could have had either of those guys. Yep. They were able to find production out of dudes that nobody wanted. Tyro Estrada. How much could the Mets have used Tyro Estrada at times this year? Yeah, I know. know. It's crazy. It's crazy. All right. Last thing we'll talk about here before we get going into the first two games of the series, which are also equally frustrating. Does Sandy get fired or does Sandy walk away? Because there's no way he's still here at the... at the start of 2022, right? No shot. I think he still might be the president at the start of 2022. I truly do. I think Cohen respects him too much. Okay, but if he if he isn't here then, does he walk away or is he fired? He 100% walks away. There's no way they'd fire him. It'd be a closed-door conversation and a meeting. He's not, he won't be fired. Sounds like Steve Cohen would do that. Okay, all right. That's interesting. I think you're probably in the right right mindset as well. Probably like a prestigious man like Sandy Alderson. They'll give him the option to either be fired or he can walk away. and He'll take the walk away. And Sandy Alderson was part of the entire onboarding process for Steve Cohen. He's been at Steve Cohen's hip since like yeah. right when this purchase was made official. He, Steve Cohen has not made a move in terms of baseball without Sandy Alderson literally sitting next to him. Maybe he should yeah. be a business advisor then. Maybe he should just be a consultant. There's no reason he should be running baseball operations for a major league baseball team in the lowest year of 2021. There's simply no way. No. I, I, there's no way that Sandy Alderson is aware of like advanced like scouting tools, metrics, database science. Like There's no fucking way. There's no way he can do any of this cutting-edge shit that's required of a baseball team to be successful in 2021. There's no way. I was streaming on Twitch today, a little plug there, but... I was talking about the Mets and a lot of Mets fans in my chat and they brought up analytics and this is just, it's a hot button topic with New York Mets fans specifically. You have the group who I've joined the group now of, I like the analytics because it just works. We we know that when you use it properly, it works as seen by maybe four of the best teams in baseball right now in the Rays, the Brewers, the Dodgers, and the Giants. Four of the best teams, all four of the biggest probably analytic departments in baseball or at least using them heavily. And people were like, oh, the Mets are too heavy, relying heavily on analytics, blah, blah, blah. They're just doing it wrong, I feel like. So something's just wrong in their process, their whole scheme. I don't know what it is, but something's got to change. I don't think the Mets are relying that heavily on analytics at all. And I think another issue where um, 
I won't call it an issue, but maybe just like a different reason why the Mets have struggled. Someone posed a question on Twitter today, like, what's the modern Moneyball? The whole point yes. of that is that Moneyball was the um, the, I, the concept of using on-base percentage rather than like batting average, just simply as I could put it, to try and build a winning team with cheaper pieces that were under market value. And I think the modern Moneyball is building up your roster from players 20 to 35 more so than 1 to 20. And that's where those best four teams are the strongest and where we the Mets have proven this year they are the weakest. And this all comes back to this organizational depth that we've been talking about and plugging all season long that we wrongfully thought the Mets had. But we really should have looked deeper and realized they did not. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I said on stream was literally that when you look at the Dodgers, the Rays, the Brewers, the Giants, they use their entire roster. There is not a wasted spot. Every single person has a purpose. They have something that they do well, some kind of value to the team where the Mets are filling spots at times with guys like Albert Almora, Travis Blankenhorn, Brad fucking hand. I mean, guys that have literally no value, no value whatsoever. So that's what it is. Need to build a full roster. I think that's probably good for our 20 minute rant here. Let's talk about game one and two. Let's talk about game one, right? Because I guess if there's any positive, it's game one. Yeah. Game one was good. I mean, I just, it just feels so stupid having all these notes now about these like it funny does. stats and positive things, but like fuck it, I'm just gonna read them and we'll hope you hope you guys like them. Yeah. Game game one, which feels like three years ago, Jonathan VR got on base to start the game because he's usually a very good leadoff hitter, but he wasn't a leadoff hitter on Thursday night for whatever fucking reason. Need needs an off day. Needs a, maybe maybe he did need an off day. I don't know. Maybe Jonathan VR went to the Mets. He was like, I need a day off. I played thirty fucking games in a row because I play every day. I, Jonathan VR has over four hundred twenty at bats this season. Could you imagine that? No, I did not expect to see that at the beginning of the year. Oh, and literally, he has a higher Woba than Anthony Rizzo, Alex Verdugo, Bo Bichette, and Trevor Story. Wow, that's a shocking group of people. It's that insane. Said, like, Rizzo, when you said Rizzo, and what was the other guy? Verdugo. Verdugo, that like opened my eyes, and then you drop Bichette and Story, and I go, oh, wow, that's that's impressive. His Woba's like 10 points behind Ozzy Albies. That's really, it's one of the best middle infielders in the league. It's literally fucking crazy. And then he got on base, blah, 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 this, that. Pete hit a big nuke. Pete loves hitting in Miami. He hit a second home run this game. He's really good. I got some just fun Pete notes because he's disgustingly good. He's become a lot better hitting with two two strikes. He is officially, not officially, we've been saying this for a while, but there's a list of guys that are, are Mets next year. Without a doubt, he's on that list. He's leading that list. Yeah, 100%. I mean, him and Francisco Lindor because of the contract for sure. Yeah. Pete has the fifth lowest K rate in baseball of all players with more than 30 home runs. Wow. Yeah, right? That's really good. Super good. Only behind Jose Ramirez, who's like a marvel. No one talks about him enough. Jose Ramirez is like just not even a real person the way he plays baseball. He's so unbelievably good. So that Pete, the fact that Pete's like in that same category as Jose Ramirez, I love that. I mean, if I'm going to get excited about something, it's Pete Alonso. It's Pete. It's Ramirez. I mean, no, lower K rates than Pete is Ramirez, Matt Olson, Vlad. I just looked at this. I can't remember the other guys, but it's those really good players, basically. I mean, some yeah, some of the, what, top 25 players in the league? Yeah, a lot of guys who are sick. And he's just, like, done it by being, like, way better, like, K-rate. Like, usually, he was striking out, like, between, like, 25 and 28% his first couple of years. And he has that, like, right 20% mark, which is a literally a shocking development. I did not see this coming. And it also hasn't come from him, like, swinging at less pitches outside of strike zone. It's been, like, very level for the last three years and swinging up pitches outside of strike zone, reaching as we've called it sometimes in this podcast. But he's making a shit ton of more contact on pitches outside of strike zone, which again, there's no real correlation between like making contact on bad pitches and like being a better player, but he's just like hitting them better. Like his ex-Woba is way better in pitches outside the zone. It's better than league average. 
This year it's 325. His rookie year it was 319, but that was when we had the super happy bouncy ball. So having that jump this year is like shocking. That's not like up there with the best guys in the league, but it's still like very good. And like his OPS plus with two strikes is over 100, which is fucking crazy. That's really good. I mean, yeah, yeah Pete, Pete's been money this year. He had the triple in game three, which is his third triple of the year, which is just crazy. He's a triples machine, as I stole from you on text yeah, in, live, <laughs> in live time. It's my thing. You got you gave me the Zach Campbell tweet, too, that banged. No, literally. Well, I mean, for the listeners at home, when Mark and I lived together, and I like wasn't really on Twitter that much yet, I would just say things out loud, and Mark would just tweet them. <laughs> and he, he was just he some once in a while he gave me some credit verbally, but he yeah. had bangers on top of bangers in the Lord's year of 2020, and didn't, it were all me guys. They were all fucking me. I can craft the like rile people up tweet to bang or like the like motivation get the old men on Twitter excited like Terry Collins, Edwin Diaz, World Baseball Classic stuff. But you know how to sculpt the tweet. You get the 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 wording right. You did the Steve Cohen one, which was like bigger than any tweet I've ever had. So. <laughs> You know how to really hit home with like the wording and everything. But yeah, Pete's a triple machine. He's so good, and he just continues to carry this offense. Yeah, definitely. And then the last notes we have on this game, because I don't really care about it at all anymore, even though it was positive. No. Like We did some good things. Jazz Chisholm bobbled a couple balls, but Carlos Carrasco has given up 13 earned runs in the first inning as a Met. Eight starts. That's, insane. that's, that's so like just crazy. kind of funny. And I think it's probably just like still being rusty. And just all the setbacks he had and not having a spring and, like, acclimating on the fly in a pennant race. But it's just still fucking weird. And he, like, again, like we say, every single start. He leveled out after that first inning. He only gave up four hits and no walks after a first inning where he gave up three hits and one walk. And it's weird because he threw two sliders in that first inning that were about 90 miles an hour, even though his slide was usually average, like, 84. And then he didn't throw another one until the fourth inning. And those fourth and fifth innings were his best two innings. And he threw 12 sliders in those innings after throwing probably none in the first three and three innings which he gave up runs in each so he's just tinkering is what he does he's why he's a wily vet i think that mets fans are casting him in too negative of a light of all the guys in this team to blame i really wouldn't throw dispersions on carlos carrasco because he's like in his late 30s he came as an add-on to francisco Lindor. we have him for 13 million dollars this year he's a fucking cancer survivor like just Cut this guy some fucking slack. He probably never will be an ace again or one of the top 25 pitchers in baseball, but I'm sure he'll be good. And the worst case scenario is that he's better than Gerard Eikhoff and he's pitching, <laughs> he's pitching instead of him. So everyone just give the fucking break with Carlos Carrasco on Twitter. Yeah, he just uh, he gets the Steven Matz treatment. You give up a first inning bomb and everyone thinks you stink, but he like literally settles down so quickly. It's unbelievable. It's almost like he does it to just like cool his nerves a little bit. Like, all right, I gave him my home run. We're good now. Like, let's play ball. You know who's been sick over the last two months? Steven Matz. So good. Yeah, he shut down the Yankees the other night, which is like, yeah, all right, did. awesome. At least if the Mets season's going down in fire, so is the Yankees, which is great to see. It's going to be just a group funeral this weekend. Which, yeah, we can get to that a little bit later. <laughs> I guess some other interesting things to talk about this game. Um, JD, big double. Big me, Pete, you talk about that home run. This team, though, it just... There's just not, the, the juice just isn't there. Whatever we this think. This game, there was some juice. There was a little bit of juice. When Lindor got that single, I felt like juicy, you know? I felt like there could have been juice. Maybe I'm being a little uh, blurred because of what happened in game two and three, which was juiceless. No juice whatsoever. And we should have known because the juice man, Jonathan VR, they didn't even try to squeeze him. They didn't even <laughs> give a shot in game three. So one, if you're not having the wettest man on the team in the lineup, that's a bad idea. Fellas, you're calling men wet? <laughs> I'm Fellas. I'm, call, I'm calling Jonathan VR wet. 
The dude's wet. You said he's the juice man. We win game one. Whoopty fucking do. Let's talk about game two. Let's get negative again. Let's do it. I'm tired of being happy. Game two is fucking disgusting. Much less fun than game one, but still oh, shockingly more fun than game three. Somehow. If you would have asked me 24 hours ago, I would not have believed you. It, like, watching game two and the way that it lost, keep in mind, the way we lost today in game three, or the day before, if you guys are listening to this, you know, on Monday, Monday, Friday, what are you talking I don't even about? know. I don't know what day of the week it is. I'm so screwed up. But if you guys listen to this on Friday, people after game two said that was the worst loss of the year on Twitter, which also is just vehemently incorrect. I got in a fight with uh, a friend of mine on Twitter. Like, I, yeah, he's a good Twitter acquaintance, Jack Ramsey, because he said it was the worst loss of the year. I said, you're fucking nuts. Like, we, I, I could probably name five losses worse than game two. And one of those reasons why, but that's also a little teaser, because we're, we're going to break down the worst losses of the year in a future episode once this thing really gets in the shitter. But it wasn't that bad because we were facing Sandy Alcantara, and he just makes mincemeat of the Mets on a regular basis. I mean, he also makes mincemeat of, like, a lot of people, but specifically, he is on another level against the Mets. It's not like the Mets. He's, like, a good pitcher with, like, a 23% K rate, a mid-3Z ERA with very good stuff who keeps the ball on the ground most of the time. He's a very good pitcher. I'd love to have him on the Mets. He was probably... This is going to sound crazy to say, but probably the best overall piece that the Marlins got back for the massive teardown. Yeah, what was it? Uh, Yamamoto was a part of that trade. Brinson. Sandy Alcantara. Brinson. Um, Gallen actually was part of that, but that turned into Chisholm. Yeah, and we don't really know who else was around in that one. Yeah. So Sixto. I'm mixing together the the six, uh, the JT Real Muto, the Yelich, the um, Ozuna, Stanton. and the Stanton trades. Yeah. yeah. Of all Storm those. Castro's si- not the guy. No, no, he's definitely not the guy. Also a dirtbag. But Sandy Alcantara is the gem of this organization right now. He has legit had two of the three best starts of his career against the Mets. Because everyone remembers the complete game shutout back in 2019 when he had like 14 Ks. It was like a two-hitter or something. He had 14 Ks again in this game. That's what I mean. It might, I might be mixing up the 14 Ks there again because maybe that one was 10 or something. But this was these were literally two of the best three games of his career by Fangraph's game score. If you go to Sandy Alcantara's full career game log and you click game score in the top right corner and sort by that, two of the top three are against the Mets. <laughs> One and three with a bullshit start against the Royals last year mixed in. He's just, he's, he's really good. He's really good. Like you said, uh, someone asked me, what would it take for the Mets to get Sandy Alcantara? I was like, that's just not happening. So yeah, you nothing. can kiss that one goodbye. <laughs> They're not trading good. him, especially to the Mets. Why would they do that? People are like, oh, the Marlins have so many pitchers. They should trade their best one for Mets bad prospects. So the Mets can also be good. No, that trade Twitter is worse than Mets Twitter. It's disgusting. Well, trade Twitter's <laughs> despair, despicable. Sandy also, I don't want to say Sandy because we're talking about the other Sandy. Mr. Alcantara, as yeah. <laughs> as he should be called by all of us peasants, he had his coming out party against the Mets too in 2018 when he couldn't get anybody out. He couldn't even throw a fucking strike and he threw seven shutout innings with 10 strikeouts in City Field in the September game. It was like the last series of the year. I'm pretty sure it was like... Either last day of September, like beginning of October, one of those things that nobody watched except for the psychos. It, like us, we're psychos. Like us, yeah. Yeah, but it's like, <laughs> this was the game I penciled the Mets in to lose this series. So when this was happening, I wasn't like distraught. Yeah. And what made it even crazier is that Dick Mountain, Rich Hill, probably had like one of his best starts of the year. He was fantastic. Oh, he definitely has best stars in Met, no doubt. He has some good ones early in the season with the Rays because he's an old man. He goes through ebbs and flows. He gets a little tired. Yeah, he's 44. Is he 40? I thought he was 42. 42, 43. He's older than every coach except Dave Jouse on the Mets, it feels like. so. He, he was pitching in 2008. Yeah, I was We were in middle 12. school. <laughs> <laughs> but he threw six innings, eight Ks, one earned. I've been telling everyone for the last few weeks about Rich Hill's sliders, and he did it again, increased its usage again, turning him into a super, super viable starting pitcher. It was the most he's thrown in all season, including his games with the Rays. He now has a third legitimate pitch. 
This is his best stretch of the year since May back with Tampa. The first time also since May he's completed six innings and back-to-back starts. That slider got six whiffs on eight swings. All three of his primary pitches got six whiffs, the slider, the curveball, and the fastball. He had a 41% whiff rate, which was the third highest percentage of the entire evening, only trailing Sandy Alcantara, of course, and Nathan Navaldi, who threw a goddamn gem against the Rays, a fucking hell of a start. Like, I'm happy that Sandy Alderson, the blind squirrel, was right once here with uh, Rich Hill. I mean, actually, a decent deadline acquisition. He's pretty fucking good. Technically, that was Zach Scott's move. What's interesting with Rich Hill is this new development of the slider, which has to be thanks to Jeremy Hefner. You would have to assume that he comes here and he all of a sudden, all of a sudden starts to throw that slider more and more effectively. Oh, you got the Hefner jersey. There it is. The second time I flashed it on the YouTube video, but I think you were ranting too hard the first time I missed it. Yeah, I think I missed it as well. It's looking nice. It's looking nice. Wrong number, but it looks nice. No, it's the right number. It's the number you played with. Oh, okay. The number he played with. Yes, it's a Jeremy Hefner player jersey. I mean, I also think that maybe since Heath Hembry... Was he actually let go, or is he still on the roster? I don't even remember. I, who cares? <laughs> who cares? It's Heath Embry. Although I would have loved to see him pitch instead of Brad fucking Hand tonight. Hundred percent. Sure. It was a bad call by us. We said maybe he'll get Heath Embry's innings and it'll be okay. Wrong. Yeah. Wrong. But where I was going with this Rich Hill tangent is uh, we might be looking at a guy whose career might get extended by a couple years with the new development of the slider, the modern day Jamie Moyer. Who again, we just need to talk about this. Jamie Moyer pitched until he was forty nine years old. That's insane. The dude was almost fifty. <laughs> That's disgusting. I also was recording this on Thursday night. Tom Brady is 44 years old, looking spry as hell, throwing the ball all over the fields right He's now. So it's good. ridiculous. They were, Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels were having a discussion of that. Like, is this the best Tom Brady's ever been in his career? Like, if you could have the choice of 44-year-old Tom Brady, 34-year-old Tom Brady, or 24-year-old Tom Brady, like, who are you taking? He's got to be getting some, like, infant blood transfusions or something. There's no way that at 44 he could be moving like this and still playing so well. You know, he eat, I mean, we're on a real Tom Brady tangent here, but he only eats, like, six things. There's no bread. There's no red meat. There's no, almost no sugar whatsoever. It's only, like, some fruits, no strawberries, white fish, chicken. I don't think there's any pork involved at all. Tons and tons of rice, oodles of rice. Everyone out there, just... I love rice. Get a fucking rice cooker and start cooking up rice. It'll be like Tom Brady in no time. By the time you're 44, you'll be slinging the ball all over the, all over the field. Yeah, we could use a Tom Brady on our team right now. We need all the help we can get. Rich Hill, our closest in age to Tom Brady, gave us a chance, though. He was really friggin' good. No issues here with how Rich Hill played. It was just that the Mets got shut down, couldn't score. I mean, we did get one. Conforto hit a nice, you know, a nice shot for us. It was huge, big at the time. Give some credit where it's due. He's been pretty good. OPS is over 950 since August 1st. Yeah, he's been heating up. He's looking like uh, the player we hoped we'd see for 162 games this year. Maybe the injury stuff, he's finally feeling healthy. I don't know. It's coming a little too late, unfortunately, but it might have saved his offseason. That's about all I can say about him. I don't think it saved his offseason. This might just, like... It might get him a contract that's not the qualifying offer. Maybe, but it won't. Be, I still don't think it'd be much better than the qualifying offer. If Marcus Semien wasn't offered the qualifying offer, like, who the fuck Who the fuck would we say that Michael Conforto even will? That is true. And Nick Castellanos got, what, like, two years... 30 million or something like that. He's, yeah. he's a sick hitter. He's way better than Conforto's ever been at the plate. So, fuck. Damn it. <laughs> God, damn it. This is infuriating. And then let's talk about James McCann because this guy, by the way, started tonight, started in game three. James McCann is the devil. He is a curse <laughs> upon this New York Mets team. He came back and. Not that the Mets were playing great baseball without him. Let's not pretend like this Mets team was, you know, barnstorming here. But he came back, and the Mets have refused to score runs in games he appears in, and they did it again tonight. I was watching this game back and forth just because, like, I had a little bit later of the day, the fantasy football draft today at 6. We really snuck that one in right before the season started. And um, 
when I saw those bread hand pitches, I just, I thought it was Mizika because he was getting so far out of his crouch and he was so long. I was like, there's no way James McKay can get to that ball. Oh boy, we're in so much trouble with him. <laughs> did I tell you so or did I tell you, you so? You did, you did. You called it. You called it. I didn't expect him to regress back to being awful. I thought he'd be like a little worse. Gary was alluding to it a lot on the broadcast tonight. He's like, well, yeah, the thing with James McCann is he probably shouldn't be playing this much. Like, he said that, like, straight up, like, we shouldn't be playing James McCann as much as he is. I had a disgusting thought earlier today that he could be a DFA candidate in the offseason, and I don't even think it's that crazy. Yeah, if Steve Cohen really does not care about the money and actually, like he says, wants to win a World Series in three to five years— James McCann is just not a part of that team. He's just, uh, he's not even really a serviceable backup right now. Barely. He like, can't even do the things he was supposed to do well, like play defense. He had an awful error. And I think that was the eighth inning. It was a tough play. Two. I'll give him it. I was mad. It was a tough play. But if you are going to try and make that play, you have to get the out. You have to. And he did not. And it could have been way worse. Also, like, this is what you're here to do. Like, you're not going to hit. Everyone was pretty aware of that. Like, maybe you could hit a little bit, but you have to be a very good defensive player. You have to, like, be the leader of the pitching staff. Like, James McCann, big, yeah, strong, burly, leadership, trustworthy. You can't make you can't make throws like that. You can't do it. And he got pinch hit for in this game by Patrick Mazika, who's hitting, like, what, 170 at the major league level? We love Pat Mazika. He's a folk legend over here. But... For James McCann, who we paid four years, $40 million to, to get pinch hit for by a AAA catcher who's not even a major league, a serviceable major league hitter, that's got to be one of the lowest moments of his career outside of getting cut by the Tigers. The irony is that a month and a half ago in that Cincinnati series, we used him to pinch hit for Nido and he actually came through in the clutch. How, just how much has changed in such a short period of time? And this was an inning where all of Luis Rojas haters could have really sung, uh, sung their hate from the mountaintops because he got a little bit too pinch hit happy, I would say. A little, uh, little lefty happy here when he pinch hit also Guillaume for Pilar. Kevin Pilar, who for all I've said about him, all the horrible things I've said about Kevin Pilar time and time again in this podcast, about all the boomers who love him to death, even though I don't really at all. Last two weeks, he's been scorching hot. Scorching he's hot, been, one of the best hitters. He has hit the ball over 105 miles an hour more in the last two weeks than he has hit it in the last three months combined. <laughs> if nothing else, like, he's feeling himself right now. Maybe Luis Guillorme, who I don't remember having a hit in, like, a couple of months because, of Granted. course, the injury. Yeah. But, like, I don't, I didn't understand that, that pinch hit there at all. I didn't, I didn't get it at all. It didn't really make sense. I, I kind of see where he's going, but it's just the wrong move, I think. I think that was, again, like you said, trying to do too much. And then the, the other crazy thing is then who's going to play center field and you can only put Albert Almora out there who we know how I feel about him. I, I, I'm saving my rant on him some more as we uh, get later on to this game. But yeah, like your mate, he worked a walk. It was a fine at bat. It was, it was a great at bat, but like it was two outs and a man on third. And we were in that position because Javier Baez struck out with the man on second to start the inning because the Mets now just can't score in 10th innings anymore. That's the new no. thing that's happening. Oh, now, God forbid, we can't do that. And I don't want to give Baez too much shit because he's like played Superman a lot of times this year. But while he has those high highs, as we say over and over again, he has such low fucking lows to not like tighten up a little bit, to know the situation, play situational baseball. Like, fucking shit, dude. Frustrating, 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 frustrating. Lugo, shaky ninth. Super shaky ninth, not looking sharp again. We're moving backwards. I know, but I just I need to talk about it because Lugo's been shaky a lot recently. Shaky, and, I, and like I think I, I'm coming off hard on Lugo as well. I've done it recently. 
also forget he's coming back from like a surgery technically in the off season. So he probably is a little tired, a little off. Something's probably just not a hundred percent. That being said, like just it, it really, we need if we wanted to have a chance, he's got to be on. I have a Lugo take that I've been developing. What is it? I think that he still intends to be a starting pitcher, and that's why in his head, in his head, and possibly like in talks with his agent because. Or possibly even talks internally with the Mets. We don't know what the fuck they have up their sleeves. They don't tell us anything. As as we've known with this Jacob DeGrom fucking situation. He had a partially torn UCL for the last three months. No one said yeah, a word. that's a thing. No one said a word about that. They said it just healed itself. They're like, oh. it's, it's, it's healed now. I mean, Jacob DeGrom is a superhuman. Like, I wouldn't be the most shocked if his UCL actually did heal itself. Like, he has these crazy, like, microbes in his upright elbow. The same <laughs> things that have helped him to throw harder and harder for the last four years have just, like, magically, like, swished around his elbow and healed it. But... The fact that he's still mixing all these pitches, even though he's entrenched in, a, in like a high-leverage relief role, doesn't make any sense to me. There's no reason at all that Seth Lugo should be throwing anything besides his fastball, his curveball, maybe mixing in some sliders if he works second inning or in maybe potentially dicier situations. Look at Josh Hader. Look at Edwin Diaz. Look at the most electric closer in baseball. I, I'm sorry I called Edwin Diaz electric because he did some bad things after the shore, but like the, the stuff is electric. That's the point I'm trying to make. And Lugo has stuff on that level. A guy like TJ Antone. You should just focus on your best pitches. Like, there's tons of research and data that show that that is what works, especially in a bullpen role. People are even doing that now more in a starting role. I've said this guy before. We see a guy like Wasker Noah. Just throw the same two pitches when he starts. Ranger Suarez is doing shit like that. Ronaldo Lopez is now doing that in a 3-4 inning role. Just throw your best pitches. Why are you fucking around with so many change-ups and sliders? Like, what the fuck? Well, especially for a guy like Lugo, too, where, like, his big thing that's gotten to the major leagues was his spin rate stuff. The changeup is so unreliant on spin rate. It doesn't even make sense for him to really have that in his arsenal. Pitch breakdown of Lugo this year, 29.8% fastball, 28% curveball, 25% sinker, 13.6% slider, 3.8% changeup. So just in case you wanted to hear that a little bit. And then let's talk about the end of the game. Marlins, because of course we couldn't score, bunt the runner over to third. Nice strikeout of Jesus Sanchez. And then Brian De La Cruz, who we decided to pitch to with an open base. Hottest hitter on the Marlins owns the Mets. I, I don't understand that decision to pitch to him either with Lewin Diaz, who I'm a big Lewin Diaz fan. I like him. I think he's going to be a good ball player at some point, maybe. Maybe not with the Marlins, but I think he has a nice swing. You got to pitch to him. He's hitting 100. The dude has never hit at all at the major league level. You can't pitch to Brian De La Cruz, who's just unbelievably hot right now. I, I, I think people kind of made more of this than it was. I think from a yeah. true talent standpoint, I don't think there's that much of a difference between Brian De La Cruz and Luan Diaz. People Agreed. are bringing up OPS and like 70 at-bat samples. Like that yeah, is nuts. not really reliable or good at all. And there's no reason that Edwin Diaz can't get out Brian De La Cruz with two outs, especially Agreed. when the at-bat before he struck out um, Jesus Sanchez. Electric pitch sequence. Like he was fantastic. Yeah. I think people are killing him too much. Even Evan Roberts today was like grilling him on their like uh, their semi-weekly radio spot. And Luis Rojas got mad at him. He was wow. basically like, shut the fuck up. Like, I, he didn't actually say that. And I listened to this a while ago, and I kind of forget because I've gotten so hot. But he wasn't. He didn't really appreciate Evan Roberts saying, like, you should have regretted that decision last night. Because I don't think from a baseball standpoint, it was, like, the dumbest thing in the world. Or even the dumbest decision that Luis Rojas made this game. Of course, that's not, <laughs> a, that's not a great thing to say because I think the pinch hitters the inning before was pretty stupid. But... I can't kill him for, like, people like, oh, Brian De La Cruz. It wasn't Jesus Aguilar. It wasn't Barry fucking Bonds. Like, there's no reason that you can't pitch to Brian De La Cruz with two outs. No, you're right. I, I agree. Like, Edwin Diaz should get Brian De La Cruz out. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I mean, he's a hot hitter. He owns the Mets. It's a little bit of, uh, you know, what have you done for me lately, as opposed to really taking a look at it. Again, it's whatever. The thing that really bothered me, I mean, 
one, Edwin, please, for the love of God, stop pointing to the sky when the ball's hitting the air. Every single time, it's a fucking piss missile. You should have learned from Hansel Robles. We've talked about this. But the other thing that drove me nuts here was Albert Almora was in center. One, playing unbelievably shallow. I mean, so insanely shallow with two outs. I don't... It, did he think there was one out and he had to make a play at the plate? Anything too deep? He wasn't going to be able to throw the guy out? I'm not sure. I don't think he knew what was going on because when that ball was hit... It was smoked. You knew it was going to the wall. You knew at the absolute worst it was at the wall. He started, sort of drifted, and then as the ball's starting to land, he goes to play it off the wall. I get it. You don't want to crash into the wall and break your face. He's done that multiple times. He's clearly got a little bit of pussyfoot when it comes to going near the wall. But he shouldn't be on this team for multiple of reasons. There's one reason you'd ever consider having him here, and it's because of his fielding uh, talent. If he's not going to be laying out into walls, he has nothing. He has nothing. You know what this guy's hitting this year? I, I talked about it a little bit earlier. 118. 118 batting average. How many hits does he have on the year? Seven. Six. 53 at-bats. Six hits. 151 on base. 176 slugging. I, I don't even know how you get a 176 slugging. That's like a pitcher bad. We basically just insert a pitcher who's supposed to be a good fielder out in center field every once in a while, and he has stunk all year long. He's stunk for years now. I don't understand how he was on this team. I don't understand how they keep using him. It's infuriating. I'm so done with Albert Almora. He's the new Aaron Altair for me because that guy was awful as well. He sucked eggs. Terrible. Just really fucking terrible. It's just, it's frustrating. It's frustrating Mets world. You probably see a lot of the anger and frustration and just bad things that we've kept pent up inside all season long because we thought that there might be a light at the end of the tunnel here. But today, at least in my world, I'll speak for myself here, the Mets season's over. It's done. We're going to basically be playing for who's going to be around next year. We're going to be playing for who's going to be getting paid a little bit more next year at this point. I don't really have any sort of hope that this Mets team makes the playoffs. If for some insane fucking chance they do, I will be happy. I will celebrate. I will be excited and I'll be right back on it. But right now, I'll be watching the games because of the podcast, because I'm a diehard Mets fan still, and because we, I miss baseball. It's the best sport in the world. But really, this Mets team is dead in the water. It's it's over. Couldn't agree with you more. It's, I'm going to be at the ballpark tomorrow night, and it's going to be a, it's probably going to be a pretty brutal scene, if I'm being honest with you. It's going to be a home game for the Yankees. It is going to be a majority Yankee fan crowd, I think. The Mets are going to get embarrassed on national TV all week long, which is going to be awesome. That's going to be sick to have our... Home game at City Field and here, let's go Yankee chance louder than let's go Mets chance. It's going to be awesome. Here's the one consolation that the Mets have. We can play spoiler. We can play spoiler. If we're going to go down in flames, let's bring everybody else down with us. We have a chance here to really fuck the Yankees. This could be our World Series maybe this year. I don't know if we're going to get real cliche and cringy. Yeah, middle finger, World Series in uh, September. It's, it's cringy. But if we got anything to play for, beat the fucking Yankees. I will also say this homestand, just as we transition to the Yankee preview, we're facing the Yankees, the Cardinals, and the Phillies. Probably three of the four teams I hate the most in all of baseball. Yeah, they're up there. Like the Cardinals, <laughs> there's really no other reason besides 2006. That's a good Fuck reason. the Cardinals. Good reason. It's a great reason. Phillies, garbage city, garbage people. We know that. Yankees because fuck the Yankees. But, I mean, do we, can we win these games? What are our matchups? Who are we going up against? What are we looking at? The Yankees are playing some awful baseball. The Mets actually have a pretty good shot to win these games because Garrett Cole is just going to... They thought there was a chance he could slot into the series because he only threw, I think, four innings on 
believe that was Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, left with the hamstring thing. Yeah, but he's not. And then Jameson Tyon's actually gone on the IL now with an ankle issue. So he they're going to be a fill-in for Sunday. So Friday night we have Taiwan versus um, Jordan Montgomery. Who kills the Mets, I feel like. Yeah. I feel like every time he faces the Mets, Wait, we can't touch him. I think ESPN's thing is wrong here because they say Taiwan, Trevor Williams, Carlos Carrasco. There's no way it's going to be Trevor Williams, not Tyler McGill. Yeah, that can't be right. So you got those, you got those corrected pitching matchups? Yeah, so we got McGill going Friday night in the black jerseys. We got Taiwan going Saturday, Carrasco going Sunday. Okay, that's fine. Maybe. I don't know. Jordan Montgomery and Corey Kluber don't scare me in the slightest. No, they shouldn't. I mean, they shouldn't. But again, this Mets team can't hit uh, Zach Pop, so we might be in trouble. Who knows? I mean, if this, if this team I, just show a little bit of life here to end the season, I, I don't even know. Do I want you to? Do I want you to make it close and still not make it? No, definitely. I want the guys this team to show some fight because if they don't i don't want them to be on this team next year so i just yeah. at least want these decisions to be made over the next month you know dudes got to be playing for their jobs right now a guy like dom smith has got to show something this last two weeks here because he's not playing for his job he's playing for his life yeah he's playing for his life okay that's what we're switching to these guys are playing for their life jd davis has to show a little something jd's yeah. got to show a little something i know he still has been hitting like okay but it feels like JD loves a good hit when it doesn't matter. And maybe that's just me being selective here, but it feels like every time with runners in scoring position recently, he's just swinging through everything. So JD's got to play a little bit. He's just not good enough to have a spot locked in right now. Maybe if there's a DH, him, yeah. but that's like kind of like in my mind, it's like him and Dom should be fighting over the same roster spot. Yes. To keep both of those guys on your team, two guys who really can't Wireless. play most positions in the field. The only one that Dom can play is where Pete plays, and Pete is pretty ensconced at first base right now. I don't think anything's going to take him off there. No. And JD probably would, first base probably his best position too if he had to put him anywhere in the field. So yeah, competition for the backup first baseman slash DH between JD and Dom Smith. I hate to say it, but I think McNeil is playing a little bit for his, uh, for his spot as well. I don't think he's going anywhere because he has the value of he still plays a good outfield. He can play second. He can play third. But I think... If McNeil wants legitimate playing time going into next year and a, maybe a starting spot on opening day, he's probably got to show a little life, which I, it pains me to say because I love Jeff, personal friend. But I agree with you wholeheartedly. And there's something I said like a month ago, and people on Twitter jumped down my throat to say that. I don't think Jeff McNeil, the, this, this iteration of Jeff McNeil yes. is a starter on a World Series caliber team. No, I, I think can, that's very important to say. Definitely. Like he, Jeff McNeil will start in like 27 teams in baseball, and he, he will do a great job, and he'll be fine. Give him 500 at bats to put in a great season. But if you truly want to win a World Series now, two to four years, Jeff McNeil has to become much uh, more powerful if we want that to happen. He has to go to the Jeff McNeil that we've seen in the past. This in between, av- like an okay average, but no power. Like you either have to sell out and be that guy who's going to hit like 310, 320, like we saw when he first came up, or you've got to be the guy who hit the 20 home runs that year. You can't be in the middle, and unfortunately right now, he's getting caught in between what kind of player he wants to be. Something's got to change there a little bit for Jeff. He is massively struggling. He's also so insanely unlucky. Unlucky. The dude lines out to everybody, it feels like, every single game. We didn't even talk about the Jesus Sanchez play in right field during game two. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. Got fucked on that one. Yeah, got fucked. He was completely in fair territory. I don't know how they missed that. How do? This is the thing. We have so many fucking angles. It seems like every other ballpark we go to has none. Are they just turning off cameras and hiding them when we play? Because there's no way that the Marlins don't have a better view of that 
than what they were showing. Also, why is there not a camera literally on the foul pole just looking down the line? Like, the NFL has the pylon cam, and that thing's actually in play. You're telling me we can't put a fucking camera on the foul pole in every Major League stadium? That's unbelievable. Major League Baseball's so fucking cheap. No, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ass-back ridiculous. MLB, at this point in the game, still fucking struggles with these replays. It's crazy. Yep. Still struggles, but again, nah, it's whatever. We still scored two runs that day. We still stunk, whatever it is. Who else? I mean, we're talking about for spots on Team Conforto. Who really knows what's going on there? He's kind of hard to say because he's a free agent. So, there's, I mean, there's a guy who's two years away, Francisco Alvarez. Ooh, look at you. Look at you with that little segue. That's smooth. Let's get positive here to end the episode. We have our Francisco Alvarez interview. I honestly was thinking maybe we were going to miss it, but you know what? Let's end it with something positive. Let's talk to one of the top prospects in Major League Baseball, one of the bright young stars in the game. Here's our interview with him when he was on the Brooklyn Cyclones a few weeks ago. I hope you guys enjoy it. Take a listen. All right, Mess Up listeners, this is unbelievable. We have a uh, top prospect in the Mets organization, Francisco Alvarez. We're interviewing him, asking him some questions, getting to know him a little bit better here. Thank you, Francisco, for doing this. Really appreciate it. Going to just ask you a few questions, get to know you. First, you play your game with a lot of swag. Is this something that you always had, you know, growing up throughout your baseball career? He's been playing like this with a lot of swag since he was little, so he's always played like that. Talk about playing baseball when you were little. Have you always been a catcher? Like, was this two and through? Siempre eras catcher. No, no, no. Yo jugaba tercera base y infield. Y cuando iba a la selección de Miranda, que es el estado donde yo vivo, y Venezuela, jugaba outfield. Ah, okay. So, you know, he was more of an infielder, third base, but... Uh, when he played um, for, I guess, our equivalent of, like, the States, uh, right? He would play outfield. He's quite a utility man. <laughs> Venezuelan, obviously, and there's so much or so many great players that have come from that country. Who do you think was your favorite player when you were growing up? Con todos los venezolanos, ¿verdad? Que han tantos jugadores que han salido ahí. ¿Cuál es tu jugador favorito cuando estabas creciendo? Cuando estabas creciendo, pues, ¿sabes? La gente se escuchaba mucho Miguel Cabrera y me gustaba verlo jugar porque era el que... So growing up, of course, his favorite player is Miguel Cabrera, right? You know, when he was like playing growing up, right? You know, he was winning triple crowns and all that kind of stuff. So of course, he's the uh, model player to follow, right? And the reason why he's wearing 24 is not because of Miguel Cabrera, but you know, there were several uh, numbers available to him, right? And he felt like it's the one that just fit him the best, right? The shirt that fit him the best. And he didn't want to play in a, for a shirt or a number that didn't feel right, you know? You got called up from St. Lucie to Brooklyn this year. How do those two cities compare and how do you like living in New York? Okay. 
vienen fanáticos, se llena y para jugar siento que es increíble, pero para, como para vivir, ¿sabes? No... Ah, ok. Sabes que Ronnie eh, dijo lo opuesto, ¿sabes? Sí, cuando estábamos hablando igual. So, funnily enough, he likes St. Lucie more because it's just more relaxed, there's less people, right? Less cars, less traffic and everything. I mean, he does like New York a lot and he loves being able to play baseball in New York. It is a different environment, right? But, you know, he did say, like, you know, poor St. Lucie is, you know, just like more chill. And it's funny because I told him that Ronnie, you know, gave a different answer, right? He just thought that was funny, too. So you got to catch Carlos Carrasco and Jacob deGrom this year. How is it catching guys that are some of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball? ¿Cómo se siente tener la oportunidad de catchar a pitchers como Carlos Carrasco y Jacob deGrom? Se siente bien, es increíble porque, ¿sabes? Son pitchers que no cometen muchos errores cuando están pichando y siempre tienen, tiran la, la bola donde se tienen que tirar y... Cuando cometen un, un error, lo cometen un error pequeño, pero no, no, tan, no tan muy lejos de, de donde ellos quieren tirar la bola. Entonces se siente bastante bien y es cómodo porque ellos ubican los lanzamientos donde uno, uno se lo está llamando. So, it's a fantastic opportunity. Those are pitchers that almost never make any mistakes, right? And when they do, it's tiny, tiny mistakes. Uh, but usually once he's catching them, it feels like wherever he calls the pitch, that's exactly where he receives it, right? And so it's a fantastic experience to be able to, again, just be in the receiving end of such accuracy and such skill, basically. When you were playing down St. Lucie this year, that league had slightly different rules, like robot umpires and pickoff throws. As a catcher, how did that affect your game? Entonces cuando estaba en St. Lucie, tienen las reglas experimentales, ¿verdad? Este, los el, los este, umpires este, robot, de robot, ¿verdad? Y el límite de cuánto puedes lanzar a primera base, ¿verdad? ¿Cómo eso afectó este, cómo tú jugabas como un catcher? Pues, ¿sabes? El béisbol viene con la tecnología demasiado rápida, entonces son cosas que uno se tiene que acostumbrando. Quizás en un futuro eso pueda, pueda pertenecer a la, a la MLB, entonces uno no sabe lo que, lo que pueda suceder. Entonces siento que no me afecta, ¿sabes? Uno, uno solamente se está adaptando al juego y ya. Baseball is basically just progressing so much with technology so quickly. Basically something that, you know, these, this technology that might make it to the major leagues in the future or whatnot, and his attitude is like you just have to adapt with it, basically, overall. Does he like it Better as a hitter. ¿Acaso te gusta más esta tecnología como bateador o como catcher? Sabes, la tecnología es buena para los dos, como bateador y como catcher, porque si tú por lo menos, si tú por lo menos vas a batear, tú sabes lo que ya lo que el piche te puede tirar y cuando vas a quechar también sabes lo que el bateador puede batear y lo que no puede batear. Entonces, sabes, eh, en, en los dos lados es bueno y yo tengo que hacer las dos cosas bien porque, sabes, mi trabajo es quechar y batear. Entonces, eh, no es lo mismo que un outfield o que un infield, sabes, que es como que no tienen que llamar al juego, no tienen que... No tienen que por lo menos pedir un picheo o saber qué picheo lanzar, ¿sabes? Nosotros es un poco más distinto y tenemos que concentrarnos en, la, en las dos partes. For him, it, it, it's just more beneficial on both ends, right? Because as a catcher and with the, you know, technology that this brings, it just allows people to understand, you know, where certain hitters can hit and can't hit in the strike zone. Uh, you know, it's the same case with him, right? And of course, him being a catcher, right, this stuff affects him just way more, more than like an outfielder or, you know, an infielder, right? Because he has to call the game. So definitely like a lot of big impact on his game in that sense, you know, and again, brings some benefits to both ends, basically. We talked about your swagger before and the energy you bring to the game. You went pretty viral on social media last month when you had your crazy bat flip after the big home run against the Renegades. How do you feel about people or fans, like, I mean, how do you feel about bat flips and that kind of stuff in the game? Tú obviamente juegas con mucha emoción, ¿verdad? Mucho swag, como dicen aquí. Y este, tú fuiste, este, se popularizó un video tuyo de cuando pegaste un home run y volteaste el bate, hiciste el bat flip, ¿verdad? Entonces, ¿qué piensas tú de cosas así, de jugar con 
con emoción, jugar con el, el bad flip, ¿qué piensas tú de eso? El juego es para divertirse, ¿sabes? es un juego y uno está aquí para divertirse, pero a veces tienen que controlar un poco las emociones para uno no sentir que le falta el respeto al juego, porque después no sabe lo que pueda pasar en, en el siguiente juego o en lo que va de temporada, pues sabe, entonces yo pienso que nos podemos divertir y controlar un poco las emociones y pienso que en ese momento yo me pasé un poco de las emociones y, y debería controlar un poco más, pero si me gusta hacer bad flip, si me gusta hacer todas esas cosas, pues me entiendes. So what he says is like, you know, baseball is to have fun. You're supposed to play and have fun, right? And there are times when you do have to like keep your emotions under control because you never are going to know what's going to happen in the next game, next season or whatnot, and you don't want to disrespect the game, right? But overall, you know, he likes just to be able to have fun. He thinks maybe he should have controlled his emotions better when he flipped the bats. But I, I don't know if you guys disagree with that or whatnot. But yeah, so there's a time and a place. But again, baseball's to have fun. Okay, and then last question. On Instagram, your nickname is Troll. Is there a story behind that? Ajá, entonces en Instagram, tu usuario es el, es troll, el troll. ¿Por qué? Porque, ¿sabes? Eh, cuando estaba en la academia, una persona que llegó para allá se llama Titiaro. Estaba, llegó para allá para la academia y, y llegó como... Él era muy chistoso y a todo el mundo le ponía como sobrenombre. Esa persona era coach y siempre ponía sobrenombre. Y entonces llegó un día y me dijo así, el troll, tú eres un troll. Y empezó como, oye, así te vas a quedar. Y cada vez que yo iba a los trayados o cualquier cosa, ya todo el mundo empezó como que el troll, el troll, el troll. Y todo el mundo me dice troll. Entonces creo que me conoce más gente en Venezuela como el troll que como Francisco. So when he was in the academy, there was a coach that came in and he was very much a jokester, right? Played it loose and whatnot. Love giving players nick names, right? And so one day he decided to give Francisco the nickname El Troll, El Troll. It doesn't seem to be any like apparent reason or whatnot, right? But it caught on enough that even his teammates would call him El Troll, right? And it got to the point where it seems like people in Venezuela know him more as El Troll rather than Francisco Alvarez. <laughs> awesome. That's, that's great. Francisco, thank you so much for doing this interview. Appreciate it. Let everybody know where they can follow you on social media, Instagram, Twitter. Francisco 13 in social media and I don't have Twitter, no me gusta. Ah, he doesn't have Twitter, he don't like it. I can't blame you. Thank you so much, Francisco, for doing this interview. Thank you guys for watching and listening. Good luck the rest of the season, Francisco. Appreciate it. Dude, how sick was Francisco? So fucking sick. That was one, He's of, the, so cool, man. one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life. Like You can feel that dude's baseball intelligence just seep through during the interview. And the fact that we were able to translate all of that incredible genius, thanks to our good friend Ernie, Subtape underscore, biggest Jonathan VR fan in the world. It's just all the credit in the world to him. And again, Francisco for being such a good interview and such a cerebral baseball player. It was great. Like our interviews got better as we went on. We got a little more comfortable with the guys. The guys seemed to get a little bit more comfortable with us. Francisco gave us some great answers. Also helped that again, our friend Ernie is Venezuelan, just like Francisco Alvarez. So little icebreaker there too. Great answers. He's got all the swag in the world. The dude's got all the confidence in the world. I cannot wait to see where Francisco Alvarez goes because the sky's the limit for him. He is a stud. He's I've talked to a lot of like top prospects through my like interviewing stuff on YouTube. Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez, like probably two of the biggest ones. Francisco Alvarez has a little bit more of the Julio Rodriguez feel where he knows he's good. He's not worried about what he's going to say, but he's going to tell you his thoughts. He's going to keep it real. Jared Kelnick's a little bit more on the quiet side trying to be PC, trying to be, you know, I'm going to be a star. I'm going to give you my boring answers that someone told me to. Francisco has fun. I love that about him. He just has a lot of fun playing 
a game at the end of the day. Even that day that we were in Brooklyn, like on the field during batting practice, he has like a certain magnetism about him. He's rocking a big ass chain. He has these sick sunglasses on that cover half his face. They're like reflective. He's drawing with guys. He's letting the chest hair flare out. He's like tasering people and fucking with them when they're like waiting on the cage. Like when I was doing the the mic check earlier before we started interviewing him, I was testing like hello, hello, and he comes into the dugout and he's like hello, hello, hello. Like he just starts like he's he's a goofball. He like he has fun, but he takes his stuff seriously once he gets out onto the field, as we saw from that game when he grounded out on the three one pitch and fired his helmet into the dugout. It was scary. It was a little scary, especially because we were sitting right behind it. But I hope you guys enjoyed that because. We really did. Definitely one of the highlights of this messed up podcast. Can't wait to see him next year in Binghamton. We'll get you back, Francisco. Don't worry. We'll have a part two, maybe a little bit longer. Maybe we can get more of his time. Who knows? We'll push our luck. That's going to take us here, though, to the end of episode number 48 of the Mets Up podcast. Super negative, but you knew that was coming. What a shit show of a series. What a shit shit show of a season. It has been interesting, to say the least. But still, regardless, we will be here every single series at the end of it. We'll be giving you a new episode, so make sure you guys are listening along. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel if you want a video version, Mets Up Podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, Mets Up. Follow James on Twitter at Jeter Had No Range. Follow me on Twitter at GiraffeNeckMark. I think that's all the shameless plugging I got. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for watching. And we'll see you on episode number 49 of the Mets Up Podcast. Peace out. Thanks, guys. See you next time.